So here Lord Krishna wants to tell us what's the difference between the wise person, the enlightened person who is liberated even while living. We say that he is a sannyasi, a renunciate in the primary sense. What has he renounced? What's the nature of the renunciation of the wise person? As compared, to, uh, as compared to that, what is the nature of attachment of the otherwise person? <coughs> and so Lord Krishna here explains to us the mechanism of action as to what it is that, that is responsible for performing the action. And so the preface was made that here Arjuna understand that these five factors are responsible for accomplishment of all the actions. And this is being told in the Vedanta, in the scriptures. What are the five factors? Adhisthanam, the body. Karta, the ego. Karanam, the sense organs. Cheshtaha, the various cheshtas, activities of the sense organs. And Daivam, the presiding deities, the Adhisthana Devatas, the presiding deities of the God. So these are the five factors. So some people are difficult in adding up this five, that's why the body. So without body action cannot be performed, body must be there and it must be sanctioned. Not only the body must be there, but it must be sanctioned, alive, then alone actions can be performed. Even if the body is there, but my sense organs are not there, not functioning, 
as when I'm asleep, for example, the body is there, but the sense organs are not functioning. At that time also, action cannot take place. The sense organs also include the mind. So organs of action, organs of perception, and mind, all of these are called karana, all of these are called organs. The organs of perception and organs of action are called external organs, whereas the mind is called the inner organ. So bahya karanani, antah karanam external and inner but organs so you require these organs also for performance of an action not only organs are required but organs do, should do something so body is required organs are required and also organs should do something that's called cheshtaha the various diverse activities of hands and legs and speech and the eyes and ears all activities also must be there and all these activities are possible because of what we call prana or the vital air and so that which actually is responsible for providing the, the ability, the energy to the sense organs is what we call the prana or the vital air. So activities also are required because body is there, the organs are there, but activity is not there, then also action cannot take place because action means chalanatmakam karma and action always involves movement. As I said yesterday, it involves movement from one place to the other place or from one time to another time or from one state to another state, some movement is always involved in an action. And therefore, movements must also be there. Activities also must be there. So not only do we require the sense organs, we also require their activities. And when is all this possible? When can sense organs perform their activities? When they enjoy the grace of the presiding deities. I have the legs all right, the legs don't function, that means that I have lost the grace of the deity presiding over the function of my legs. My hands are there, not functioning. My speech is there, I'm not able to utter words. I'm not able to open my mouth, cannot close my mouth, something happens. All of this we can say that it is at the grace of Daivam. The presiding deities, their grace is not there. And therefore, we also require the favorableness of what we call the Devatas or the various elements. So that also is required. As I said yesterday, this is the concept that we have, the concept of a, an interdependence of the cosmos, you know, with the individual and the total. So there's constant interaction between the two. And so, I constantly need the support and the favor of the, the whole universe in the form of different elements of devatas. So when they are favorable to me, then my organs can function. In fact, there are presiding deities of the mind also of the intellect, of the, of the mind, of the ahankara, of the chittam. Like ahankara presiding deity is Rudra. And of the intellect, the presiding deity is, the, is Vasudeva. So thus we have presiding deities even of different functions of mind. So we find somebody's intellect is very sharp. We find somebody's memory is very sharp. We find somebody's ego is really terrible, you know, whatever. Then we know what presiding deities are favorable to this person, you know. Somebody's arms are very strong, somebody's legs are very strong, somebody's speech is very strong. Then we would imagine that he has been able to acquire the favor of those respective presiding deities. <coughs> anyway, uh, the idea is that it is all of these five factors which together are responsible for accomplishment of action. And therefore, Sharira Vang Mano Karma Prarabhate Naraha, 
a human being performs an action at any level, at the level of body, at the level of speech, or at the level of mind. At these three levels, actions are performed, whatever action is performed, whether action is righteous or unrighteous, nyayam va viparitam va, whether action is righteous or unrighteous, whatever action is performed, panchayate tasahitavaha, hey Arjuna, may you know that these five are the constituents are, which are responsible for accomplishing all the actions, even action taking place at the level of mind, there also. These five are involved. <coughs> Here the idea is not so much to discuss action, but mainly to convey the point that when the actions are being performed, it is not the Atma that is involved in performance of action. These five participate in accomplishment of all the actions, but Atma or the Self, the consciousness, is not one of them. It is true that without the Atma, without the Self or consciousness, nothing can be accomplished. Just as we say yesterday, in presence of the magnet, the iron filings, they move about. So, the magnet has nothing to contribute, nothing, in fact, magnet does not participate or does not bring about the movement of the iron filing, meaning magnet does not have a sense of doership or participation in movement of iron filings. However, without the presence of magnet, the iron filings could not move. That also is true. So the rope has nothing to do with the snake. Snake cannot be without the rope, no doubt, but the rope has nothing to do with the snake. Similarly also, the self has nothing to do with the action except in, without the presence of self, of course, action cannot be performed. And so it is self, the Atma, the consciousness, that enlivens all these five factors. That provides them the consciousness or the sentiency, and that's how the action is being performed. However, Atma is not one of the factors not one of the constituents in performance of action. That is all that is important. Tatrevam sati, when this is the case, atmanam, kartaram, atmanam, the self, who is kevalam, self who is absolute, who is ever pure, who is actionless. <coughs> kartaram pasyati, still this person on account of ignorance sees the self or the atma as performer of action sees the Atma as a doer or performer of action. Swamiji, what is the big deal about that? So what? The Atma, the Self, who is neither doer nor the enjoyer, is on account of ignorance taken to be a doer and enjoyer. What happens? Well, that is, as we said, the source of all our sorrow, all our miseries, all our problems. Because is a doer and the enjoyer that in fact experiences all the problems, pleasures and pains. Because one who is a doer, he is accountable for what he has done, and therefore he is accountable for the actions in terms of being an experiencer of the result. And what happens is, the result comes in future. The doer performs an action now, the result comes in future. Doesn't matter, let it come, Swami. But what happens is, when the result comes, in the process of experiencing result, I again do something else, some other karma. Even the, in the process of experiencing the result also, now, see, when I experience the result, it creates some reaction in me. Either I am happy or unhappy. If I could experience the result with total equanimity of the mind, without any reaction on my part, then it's okay. That's what Lord Krishna teaches. That all right, 
right now you have kartrutva the sense of doership it is product of ignorance but where you can and therefore you cannot exercise free will you can't declare that i am not the karta or doer because you are you find yourself to be so <coughs> where you can exercise your free will is in not reacting while you are experiencing the result that's what we can do otherwise the one who performs action is accountable for the result when the result comes i invariably judge the result as either favorable or unfavorable and i react so when i judge the result as favorable i react with happiness with with joy or with elation when the result is judged as unfavorable i i react again with frustration with anger with sadness so this is called bondage <clears throat> when somebody can push a button you know every experience pushes a button in me because every experience is judged by me either as favorable or unfavorable it is not that experience pushes the button but my judgment that it is favorable or unfavorable is that judgment pushes the button because moment i judge something as favorable uh, the reaction is i'm happy i want it i like it i want to hold on to it i don't want to let it go the thing wants to go i want to hold on to it and when i judge something then favorable another reaction i don't want it i'm frustrated it wants to stay i want to push it away so that is how these reactions create again further actions of either holding on to something that wants to go away or pushing away something that wants to stay can you imagine this is struggle we do not just give freedom to the things to be what they want to be moment i judge something as desirable i just want to don't let want to let it go i want to hold on to it <clears throat> if it is somewhere else i want to push it i want to pull it here bring it here and make it mine and i want to call it mine retain it to be mine i don't want to let it go all right if you always want to keep it yours then also is okay but for five minutes i say i don't want it now yesterday i wanted it now i don't want now i want to push it away the poor thing doesn't know what to do with me also but this is what we are doing this is called reaction and this reaction is called bondage that a situation or experience manages to push push some buttons in me and that's how i react with either harsha or shoka elation or depression <coughs> and both of them will make me perform action if i'm happy then also i will perform action to retain my happiness to retain those conditions which made me happy and that also involves an effort <coughs> and if i'm unhappy again i do something to avoid the situation which made me happy and therefore either retaining something or avoiding something both of them require first because it is the nature of things to change and i do not want them to change <coughs> so i perform an action that brings about the other reaction another result another reaction another action this is how the karta when i look upon myself as a doer i am obliged to be an enjoyer experiencer also as an experiencer i always react with either harsha or shoka elation or depression which both of them again create another desire another action another reaction and that's how the chain of action and reaction perpetuates that's how vedanta traces the source of all our problems to this kartrutvam or sense of doership and it should also include that bhoktrutvam the sense of enjoyership the doership and enjoyership none of them belongs to the self 
both of them belong to the non-self. So these five factors can be said to be the personality. And who am I? I am the person. So even though the person does not do anything, nor does he enjoy anything, he blesses everything. Mundaka Upanishad explains this very beautifully by giving the analogy of, uh, you know, <coughs> of two birds. <coughs> two birds who look alike. Dva Suparana Sayuja Sakhaya Samanam Ruksham Parishashvajate In the self-same tree, the two birds appearing very similar, both two birds are there. Tayoho Anyaha Pippalam Swadvatri One of the birds keeps on experiencing the sweet and bitter fruits of the tree. Anasnan Anyaha Abhichakashiti The other bird does not participate, he just sits there and blesses the other bird. <coughs> so one is what we call bhokta, the experiencer enjoyer. Other one is abhokta, non-experiencer, non-enjoyer. <coughs> That's my true nature. The other bird is a true nature. The first bird is the rejected nature. Sometimes they use this word, the lower self and higher self, you know. Alright? So what's the lower self? This doer, enjoyer, this ego can be called lower self. And who is the higher self? The one that blesses. Because that's the true nature. There are no two selves, understand? Higher self is the true nature of the lower self. Like the gold is the true nature of ornament. Gold can be ornament can be called lower self. Gold can be called higher self if you want to. Anyway, we don't use those words, but then Jiva and Brahma. Brahma, what is Brahman? Nothing but the very truth of Jiva. <coughs> and so the person, the Purusha, is there, the very presence, the very consciousness that blesses the personality, that enlivens the personality, but does not ever participate in the personality. But why Swamiji does not participate? What sort of an Atma? We don't like that, you know. It's not very interesting. The self does not participate, doesn't do anything, doesn't enjoy anything, looks like very dull, is it not so? What is the use of knowing this self who doesn't do anything, doesn't feel anything, doesn't experience anything? Swami, you know how a wise person is? A wise person also is free from kartrutva and bhoktrutva, doership and enjoyership. What fun will he have? What participation will he have? The thing is that normally a person requires something to have fun. This person doesn't require anything to have fun. That's all it means. What it means is that he doesn't have to do something in order to feel fulfilled, doesn't have to experience something in order to feel happy, because he is fulfilled by himself. The last line of the 15th chapter, knowing this Arjuna, one becomes really intelligent and becomes totally fulfilled in life. So we said on the very first day that moksha or fulfillment is my very nature. As long as I am seeking fulfillment outside of myself, so long I am denying that fulfillment. As long as the tenth person, tenth man, is searching for the tenth man, he is denying the tenth man. All that the wise person does is, doesn't deny himself. There is what we call owning up of himself. What it means is that the self is complete in itself and therefore there is no need to do anything. So don't say that the wise person does not do anything. Say that. He has become free from the need to do something. Don't say that he doesn't experience anything. 
he's become free from the need to experience. Right now I have a need to do something. And the need to experience something. Because if I don't do, if I don't experience, I'm restless, I'm unhappy, I'm incomplete. So when it is said that wise person doesn't do anything, naiva kurvanna karen, doesn't do anything, doesn't make anybody do anything because he's free from the need, that's all. So Lord Krishna said, prajahati yada kaman, when he becomes, when he, when all the desires are dropped from him, which means that he has become free from all the needs. Word kama, the desire, should be translated as a need. Which need always brings about a demand. And therefore he doesn't have any need to manipulate anything, change anything. He gives total, when do we do something? What is action? Action is trying to manipulate things, this is not so. When I come and I sit here, then I put this flower here, this flower, then this thing, you know. I always organize it my way. Other Swami comes and he organizes in his way. What's wrong with it, Swamiji, when the flower was here? No, it should be here. This can't be here. This should be here. And that should be. So therefore, performance of an action represents my need. Because I am not happy, I am not comfortable with the way things are. And therefore, there is a need on my part to change things around so that I become comfortable. Therefore, I manipulate. I manipulate things, I control things, and that's how, that is called karma, that's called action, today. Atma, the self, is complete in itself and therefore, there is no need to bring about change to become comfortable. Just imagine this. The wise person does not need to change anything to become comfortable. Does not, and experience is always there. Understand that Atma, self, is of nature of experience and therefore you cannot be free from experience. He does not need a particular experience to be free. This morning I had a meeting with children and some of the children asked me, one, asked, one child asked me, Swamiji, do you levitate? And I said, no, I don't levitate. So if you levitate, how nice would it be, you know, it would be really exciting. I said, well, you just hang on to a balloon and you will float around. It's equally exciting. What's the big deal about it? Anyway, but then this is the kind of fascinations we have. We feel that we can be happy provided some change happens in time, place, conditions, whatever. But that is not necessary. For a wise person, that is not necessary at all. For you and I, nobody it is necessary because the self is complete as it is, regardless of time, place, or conditions. Nothing wrong in levitating, nothing wrong in doing anything you want to do. But when it becomes a need, it's a need that is wrong, that's all. You may as well fly in the air, you may as well do what you want. But I feel incomplete, inadequate when I cannot fly. When I feel incomplete because I cannot levitate or whatever, then that is a need. That means I am dependent on something. Every need is a manifestation of my dependence, of my incompleteness, my inadequacy. The wise person is just free from that, that's all. That is what is meant by saying, he is free from having to do anything or free from having to do anything particular or having to do any experience anything particular. Doing anything is fine and experiencing anything is fine. So, whatever. Na prahushet priyam prapya, no dvijet prapya cha priyam. So when priyam, something favorable comes, no elation. Unfavorable comes, no depression. 
Swamiji must be sense, insensitive person, nothing happens to him. Something favorable comes to him, nothing happens. Unfavorable, nothing happens. But understand that happening comes after we have just something favorable and unfavorable. It is not the situation that makes anything happens to me. But I judge the situation as favorable. It is my judgment of favorableness that creates reaction. And my judgment of unfavorableness that creates reaction. Because the very same situation could be judged as unfavorable by somebody that I judge as favorable. So this place is too cold, you know. Somebody is very comfortable at 60 degrees temperature and somebody is freezing. So what is considered favorable by one could be considered unfavorable by another one. It is not the situation that creates reaction, understand. It is not the world that makes man happy. It's the way I judge a situation. I judge the world at a given time, that is what makes me happy or unhappy. A wise person does not judge, that's all. Why? He is comfortable with everything as it is. He gives freedom to everything to be what they want to be. As Swami says, give the world the freedom and enjoy the freedom. Because I don't give the world freedom because I'm insecure and therefore I want the world to be only organized in a certain way that I feel good. If the world is not organized, that way I feel insecure and therefore, well, all right. But this is what is meant by freedom. And Atma, the self, when it's described as Akarta, Abhokta, non-doer, non-enjoyer, it means that it is ever complete in itself, is ever free, is ever fulfilled. And that is all we to own up, that freedom that ever exists the fulfillment that ever exists and that's what we own up and the owning up alone is called moksha one child asked me what is Swami what is moksha that's a difficult thing to talk about how to get moksha I said just do good things that's all you know at this point <laughs> anyway so I said be good and do good be a good person and do good things tatrevam sadikartaram atmanam kevalam tuyaha and therefore atma is akarta that means free from need that's all not insensitive, but the free from need. They're two different things. That even though the situation unfavorable, I don't feel anything and therefore nothing happens to me is one thing. I do not judge that is unfavorable. I said, fine, this is also in order. Order means this is also right. This is also good. That is also good. And Lord Krishna taught us this to begin with, accept a situation as prasada. To begin with. How do we proceed in that direction? By imitating what a wise person does. What he does spontaneously, effortlessly, is what we try to do with an effort. For him, effortlessly everything is good. And I remind myself, wait a minute, it is supposed to be good. And therefore, fake it that it is good. How can it be good? Because it comes from God. That's why we involve God in there. It comes from God. Therefore, it is prasada. It is His grace. And therefore, Accept it as grace. Provided you care for God anyway. I mean, you know, it, uh, provided you have the, provided you have the uh, trust or the faith in the Lord, meaning that you trust that whatever He does is is for your well-being and He cares for you and so forth. Then alone it can be taken. Prasada. So that is how we start with Prasada Buddhi. That this is the grace of the Lord. Favorable also is His grace. Unfavorable also is grace. <coughs> and so, bitter also is prasada, sweet also is prasada. All this is easier said than done. It's not easy to do at all. We accept it. But that is how, uh, this is the process of growth. Samatvam. 
So what is effortless for a wise person becomes then something driven with effort for the aspirant. But here, Pashyati Akrata Buddhitvad, this person sees the Atma as a doer, even though Atma is not actionless. And doer means see the Atma is incomplete, understand? To see the Atma as a doer, meaning seeing the Atma is incomplete, seeing Atma is needy. So even though the Atma, the self is ever full and complete, one who sees it as needy, sees it as incomplete. Even though, as Paitri Upanishad says, Abhayam Pravishtam Indate, even though self is ever free from fear, fearlessness is the nature of the self, but still one sees the self as fearful, as insecure. Akhrata Buddhitvat, this is on account of the Adhyasa, superimposition. Of all the incompleteness that belongs to personality is superimposed upon the person, and that's how the person, the self or the Atma is judged as needy. As judged as incomplete. Akrata buddhitvat, because his buddhi is asamskrita. His buddhi is not refined. His intellect is not refined. His intellect is just what we call uh, the mundane, you know. So, mundane or secular or whatever, or unrefined, gross. Because he has not been exposed to the scriptures. Also, the refinement happens even before we come to the teacher. As I said, when we live the life of dharma, then also refinement keeps on happening. And so, duscharitat anubarataha, those people who do not yet desist from what we call the improper actions, those people who still fall prey to that temptation, they ever do things that are not becoming of them. So, unless a person become, desists from unbecoming actions, unless as long as a person keeps on justifying his arrogance, his ego and things like that and falls for his temptation and therefore does not desist from unbecoming actions, so long the buddhi of the mind cannot be refined. That's how na virto duscharitat na shanto na samahitah na shantamana sovapi prajnane nainamapmayat Kathopanishad says the first step is to desist from unbecoming actions. <coughs> so the person is not made effort to refine his intellect. Then alone he can see the reality as it is. Right now I cannot see the reality as it is. The reality of myself I see wrongly. I have a distorted perception of my own self and therefore I have a distorted perception of the world also. Nasapashyati <coughs> Even though seeing, he does not see. Durmatihi, because his mati, his buddhi, his intellect, his mind has been distorted, perverted. Like my eyes being distorted on account of a disease and therefore, I do not see the thing in front of me as it is. Where there is one, I see two. This one thing. And also, superimposing one upon the other. So number one, not seeing thing as it is, the example was, if there is a disease in the eyes, then how I see two moons where there is one. Also superimposing the attributes one upon the other, the example was that the clouds are running. And this person says, the moon is running. The motion of the clouds is superimposed upon the moon, and then we conclude, the moon is running. Like this Mullah Nasruddin, you know, this Mullah Nasruddin once was walking, I think in the night, he was once walking in the forest, and he felt thirsty. And so he was looking for a well. And then he found a well. 
and he looked inside the well for water, how to fetch water. And all of a sudden he was concerned. You know what he found? The moon had fallen in the well. This mullah was really concerned. He says, we must retrieve the moon so that it goes into its right place. And therefore he looked around and the moon was the crescent moon had fallen into the well. He went around and somehow procured a rope and made a loop and then slowly inserted the rope. It went down. He was trying to uh, catch that moon in his loop. He was trying hard. It's not coming, you know. And after about 10-15 minutes of trial, then he was able to do that. He was able to trap that moon into his loop and then he started pulling and pulling. And he was pulling and he fell off, you know, because it got released from there, you know. And therefore, all of Mullah Nasuddin fell off on his back. And you saw that. Yeah, that's right. Now the moon is in the right place. What had happened was that Mullah's loop of the rope got actually trapped, stuck in a rock. And so he was trying hard. He was trying very hard to pull it. He thought the moon is very heavy and not able to pull it. But it was a rock. The rock got dislodged. And all of a sudden, the fellow fell down on his back. So, person feels that the moon has fallen in there. Similarly, also, we superimposing one upon the other. The moon of the clouds superimposed upon the moon and concluding that the moon is running. So, also, the activities of these five constituents, activities of the body, sense organs, mind, all of this, superimposing upon the Atma, the self, and concluding that it is self that is performing action. But Swami, all the time you give examples of one thing upon the other, snake upon the rope, and movement of cloud upon the moon. But here the superimposition takes place upon one's own self. So Shankaraja gives a third example. Like this man who is riding a palanquin. So those men are running and he thinks he's running, you know. So men are, men are actually walking and moving. He thinks that he's moving. So the motion occurring outside, is superimposed upon oneself. Similarly also, the activities taking place at the level of the sense organs, superimposed upon oneself, and thus one judges oneself as a doer, as an enjoyer, as needy, as incomplete, as insecure. And therefore, napasyati, the self, one does not see as it is. Then, who is the sumatihi? This is durmatihi, a person of what we call the perverted intellect or distorted intellect. Who is the person of the right intellect? That is being said in the 17th verse. Yasya nāhaṁ krito bhāvaha Yasya nāhaṁ krito bhāvaha Buddhir yasya na lipyate Buddhir yasya na lipyate Hattva pisa imān lokaṁ Hattva pisa imaan lokaan Nahantina nibadhyate Nahantina nibadhyate Yasya nahankrito bhavaha The one who doesn't have ahankrito bhavaha This bhavaha This kind of a notion Ahankrita aham karta I am a doer I am an enjoyer I am incomplete I am insecure this bhava, this conclusion, this judgment, one who does not have. That means one, everybody has a judgment. Whoever is born, is born with the habit of superimposing the limitations of personality upon the person. That happens. 
It is not that we deliberately do that, it is something that happens naturally. Therefore, this ignorance is called Svabhavika Magnyanam, Svabha uncreated. The idea is that it is something habitual. So this is a habit of superimposing the limitations of personality upon the person and judging the person as limited, needy, and therefore doer, enjoyer, this is habitual. But when a habit goes on for a long time, it seems to become the nature, therefore this is called the nature. It's not the nature, but this has become the nature. And therefore, a lot of effort is required to become free from this habit. One who is free from this judgment of the notion that I am the doer, I am enjoyer, I am incomplete, I am small, I am individual, one has become free from the sense of egoism, from sense of individuality, which means that one who has become free from the habit of superimposing the limitations of personality upon the person. This understand, this is what happens. When I become free from the habit, see this has become just habitual pattern, that when I look at the body, I judge the body to be myself. When I look at the mind, identification of the mind automatically happens. When the mind is happy, I declare myself to be happy. Mind is unhappy, I declare myself to be unhappy. This is just habitual. And it is so habitual, I mean, you know, happening so effortlessly that I think that is the reality about me. And there is no way that a person will suspect that his judgment or conclusion about himself is wrong and therefore, Shastracharya Upadesha Nyaya Samskritam it becomes necessary, in fact, to expose oneself to the scriptures, to the teacher, and to the reasoning. So, all these conclusions I have on account of some reasoning that I have. And I have to be made to see that the reasoning that I am presently having is all wrong. It is not that I have come to this conclusion for no reason at all. I have come to this conclusion by applying a certain process of reasoning. And it is a script, this teacher with the help of scripture and with the help of reasoning tells, shows me how my reasoning process is wrong. <coughs> of course, before I go to the teacher, a lot of preparation must be done. As I said, karma yoga is a preparation. But if a karma yogi also looks upon himself as karta or a doer, and therefore, to cross that step, as far as becoming free from the likes and dislikes is concerned, that is done by performing the right kind of actions and therefore the wrong tendencies are slowly and slowly subdued. But still, even a karma yogi also, even a devotee also does look upon himself as a doer, as a karta. And to become free from the sense of doership, what we require is teaching. There is nothing else. The doer becomes sattvic, not else. The karta, the doer, becomes very sattvic, very humble, he has become very modest, he has become a devotee. He is a selfless person, but he is still an individual person. So karma can never eliminate sense of doership, understand? Because karma or the action can be performed provided I have a sense of doership to begin with. I cannot possibly perform the act of speaking unless I call myself a speaker. I could not perhaps, I could not possibly perform the act of listening unless I accept myself as a listener. So before performs our action, the sense of doership first comes, and then the action takes place. And therefore, in order to cross that step, however great karma yogi I am, however great a devotee I am, 
and still the sense of individuality, sense of doership still remains. A very subtle sense, no doubt. And so karma yoga brings about a lot of refinement. A lot of refinement in his ego. From tamas to the rajas and rajas to the sattva. And therefore, with all these efforts, we make our ego sattvic ego. By constantly entertaining the attitude of offering, giving, always invoking the good person from me, in simple, in short. Whenever I confront any situation, I try to make an effort to invoke the good person from me, to invoke the best in me, to invoke my good tendencies, my divine tendencies. Where both the tendencies are there, the demoniac and divine, both tendencies are there. The jealous person also is in there, the fighting fellow also is there, and contenker, everybody is there inside. At the same time, the good person is there, the generous one is also there, the kind person also is there, and therefore, I deliberately invoke that kind person in a situation. But Swamiji, you know the way he behaves, you know what he does, that is their business. Huh? That's what they will do. In fact, they, they always challenge us. Let me see if you can invoke the goodness out of you. Let me see. You know? <laughs> They'll challenge And we keep taking up those challenges. And under, un, well, when the conditions are favorable, everybody is good. Everybody is good when things are favorable. Nobody is bad. Nobody likes to be bad. Nobody likes to be angry. <coughs> it's only when the, the critical time comes, that is when all those things come out. And that is when I am required to exercise my judgment, my self-control, my alertness, my values. And therefore, a deliberate attempt on my part to always invoke, invoke the goodness from me, the fairness from me, you know. This is an effort. That is called Karma Yoga. As I said, it is not Karma that is important. The Yoga part is important. What is Yoga? Chitta Vritti Narodaha. That means cessation of all these thoughts in the mind. But we start with cessation of all the evil thoughts in the mind, all the negative thoughts in the mind. That's what we want. That's how the mind becomes sattvic mind. Mind becomes a learning mind. For a mind which has a tendency to enjoy seeking pleasure, it becomes a mind that is seeking knowledge. And then final refinement takes place by teaching. Teaching cannot accomplishment big gross refinements, you know. You know, big transistor radios in the olden days, we had two, two tuning knobs. One tuning knob, that is a big knob that brings that pointer, you know, from there to here. There's a fine tuning knob then. That's where fine tuning. So big tuning knob is by dharma and then by karma yoga. And the fine tuning is done by the teaching, by Vedanta. Vedanta is a fine tuning mechanism. With that we cannot accomplish the big thing, you know. Some people complain, Swamiji, look at this. After listening to Vedanta for 10 years, still, you know, how the people behave. But then, Vedanta does fine tuning. To do other tuning, you know, because you require big chisel and hammer to remove big, big chunks, you know. And then the, the sculptor will take his fine chisel and fine hammer, you know, to do all the fine tuning, refinement. But anyway, so two stages of refinement. The first stage is called dharma and karma yoga. And third, three stages call it dharma first. Karma yoga meaning selfish action but based on dharma. Selfless action based on dharma. And thirdly, the, te- the study of the Vedanta, contemplation. So, Shastra, Acharya, Upadesha, Nyaya, Samskritam, Atmana, Samskrita, Atmana. 
So person who has refined the mind by the teaching. And what the teacher does is he addresses our habitual patterns of thinking and conclusion and provides us reasoning to make us see how that conclusion conclusion is not right. That I am a small being, that I am bound, I am incomplete, I don't have any reason to conclude that. That I am a needy person, there is no valid reason to conclude that. This is what the teachers, teacher shows me. How? Based on the scripture. Tattvamati, that you are a complete being. And therefore, your conclusion that you are incomplete is, is wrong. It doesn't have a valid reason. So teacher also uses reasoning based on the scriptural teaching. And that's how the refinement takes place. That's how he says, Nahankrato Bhavaha. He becomes free from this ahankara, free from the sense of individuality, free from sense of doership, free from sense of enjoyership. He, see, he stops superimposing upon himself what he is not. That's all. The habit of superimposing the limitation of personality upon a person, he just slowly and slowly seizes that. That is called samadhi. You don't do that at all, you know. Anyway, nahankrato bhavaha. So one who has become free from the sense of individuality, sense of ego, therefore insecurity, therefore smallness. Buddha yaschani lipyate. How does he, Sankaraja explains here, how did he come to this understanding? Oh, what is this, what is this process of thinking now going on in his mind? So, when my hands are doing something, what is my process? I do it. When the organ of speech is speaking, what do I say? I speak. What does the wise person say? He says, it is organ of speech that is speaking. Who am I? I am the witness of the act of speaking. I am the one that gives the satta and the spurti. The existence and intelligence to this organ of speech, but I am not the speaker. That is all. That shift has happened. So when the organs are acting, the ignorant person says, I am acting. The wise person says, the organs are acting. Thus he has managed to create a distance between the person and the personality. The distance by knowledge, not distance in, in physical sense, that the Atma stands apart from an Atma. Yes, Swami, I did that. I saw my Atma, you know, standing right there. That's a different matter, not that. This distance is not the distance, physical distance, distance in terms of knowledge. So that is the distance that Vedanta asks us to do, create a distance between person, personality and the person. That all the actions are performed by these five factors, by the body, sense organs, etc. They are the ones who perform the actions. Who am I? I am their witness. I am the one that blesses them. I am the one that is uninvolved, inactive, changeless. In the midst of all the changes, I am the one who is changeless. <coughs> and this is what Lord Krishna has said all along in the Bhagavad Gita. Avikaryo emuchare. In third chapter, he says, Prakritesh kriyamanani gunihi karmani sarvasaha. Here, Arjuna understand that it is prakriti the matter. With its guna, the sattva, the samas, they perform the actions. And atma ever remains actionless. <coughs> this is the teaching of Lord Krishna from, from the very first verse, that atma, the self, is changeless, unborn, undying. And so, najayate, mriyate, makadachit, free from all the modifications. So one who has discovered that fact, and one who is owning up that fact. 
who does not connect himself with the karta karma who is called karta who does not connect himself with the, with the experience or the result he is called abhokta who is karta the agent of the agent of action one who connects himself with karma and who is bhokta the one who connects himself with experience this one doesn't do that he doesn't connect himself with experience experience is experience and therefore it doesn't create any reaction in him that is called buddhiryasthana lipade one whose mind does not get tainted one whose mind does not react to whether favorable or not because he does not judge anything as favorable or unfavorable <coughs> so yasya nahan krupa bhavah he doesn't have kartrutva buddhirya chanalipede does not have bhoktru in technical terms we can say he sees from the sense of doership as well as sense of enjoyership which means that he does not superimpose the idea of doership enjoyership on himself what about him Now Lord Krishna makes a bold statement Hatva Pisayman Lokan Nahantina Nibadhyate Even killing all these creatures He does not kill Nor does he get bound Iman, Killing all these people Killing all the creatures He does not kill Not that Lord Krishna wants anybody to kill anything But killing is a context here That's why it is being said Killing is the most heinous action that a person can perform. Suppose you can be free even while performing that action. Can you imagine that? Suppose you are required to do something. Like that. Suppose you are required to kill somebody. Suppose a duty calls for you to do that. And still you don't say, you do not connect, you do not get affected even by such an action as that. Then what log of any other action? Therefore the death is taken as a context in Bhagavad Gita. If one can manage, handle the death, then one can handle anything. And so, Hattva Abhisayman Lokan, even after killing all this, Arjuna, see Arjuna's problem was that, I'm going to be a killer. Ghataka, I'll be the killer. I'll be the agent of killing all these people, I'll be the sinner. And that is how a tremendous sense of guilt was there in Arjuna. Lord Krishna says, if you have this knowledge, then even after killing these people, Nahanti, he does not kill because he doesn't kill them. Suppose have he really killed, then he cannot be said he doesn't kill. So Lord Krishna again makes a contradictory statement right here. Hatvapi nahanti. For ignorant person who said, Pashyanabi na Pashyadi, even though he sees, he does not see. For the wise person who said, Hatvapi nahanti, even though he kills, he does not kill. What do you mean he kills and does not kill? He kills from the standpoint of the onlooker. He does not kill from his own standpoint. That means he performs an action from the standpoint of others. Because others always equate the personality of the person. So when the action takes place over the body, other people say that he is doing things. What is his perception? That even when the action is being performed at the level of body, I do not perform that. And therefore, hatva, even in spite of killing, that is from the standpoint of others. Nahanti does not kill. That is from his standpoint. And therefore, Nadi Bhajjade, that's the reason why he does not get bound. 
he does not get tainted, he does not get affected, he retains his freedom regardless of what the situation is. <coughs> to say this requires a tremendous boldness. I don't think anybody in the world would ever say, any scripture would say, killing nobody would even handle, you know. But then Bhagavad Gita does, Kathopanishad also, but Bhagavad Gita does and says, not that Lord Krishna prescribes you to kill anybody. But if a situation came, suppose you had to protect your country, suppose you had to protect your family, let us say. And therefore in self-defense, suppose you are required to do something. So sometimes not, see, ahimsa, non-violence does not mean that you just don't do anything. Mahatma Gandhi used to say that, do not, you know, your, uh, what shall I say, uh, your fears and inabilities, you know, should not be counted as non-violence. So you have a certain duty to protect your family. Suppose somebody attacks your family and says, I am a non-violent person, therefore you allow that thing to happen. That's not non-violence. It is worse than violence. This kind of non-violence is worse than violence, he used to declare. So weakness is not non-violence. Non-violence comes from the strength. And therefore if a situation calls for you to respond in a certain way, you may have to respond. But you're not killing somebody. You're only protecting, you know, you're defending, whatever. If you think you are killing somebody, it is definitely sin. So Lord Krishna says here that outwardly, even though the person appears to be killing, inwardly he does not do anything at all. In fact, there is no sense of doership. Outwardly performing action, he does not perform. Thing just happen in his presence. All he is is just a presence in whose, you know, and things happen in his presence. But this is how in these 17 verses, Lord Krishna has in fact summarized the teaching of all the chapters in the Bhagavad Gita, or at least the first six chapters. The summary of the first six chapters where Lord Krishna taught that the Atma is actionless, Atma is changeless, Atma is ever free, ever complete. And so this topic was started from the chapter 2. And wherever the opportunity came, Lord Krishna kept on coming back to this because this is a vision of Bhagavad Gita that you are ever free. And that freedom does not mean that you have to be in a given state of, a given frame, I mean, given form of lifestyle. In any lifestyle you can be free. That's what Lord Krishna says. Therefore, he always describes sannyasa, not as inactivity, but as actionlessness. Inactivity is absence of activity. Actionlessness is not acting in spite of action. Actionlessness is freedom in spite of action. Inactivity is freedom from action. So there's one topic of Swamiji's talk. Not freedom from action. Freedom in spite of action. So that is how Lord Krishna describes the wisdom. So the growth, let us say, this is the extent to which one can grow. This is the possibility Lord Krishna shows here. And this is what is called moksha. So understand that moksha, the liberation, is the culmination of the process of growth. The first stage of growth takes place through what we call pravritti or activity and the second stage of growth takes place through what we call the contemplation. To contemplate upon such subtle matters as person and the personality and to be able to discriminate between the two requires really a very refined mind. Requires a mind that enjoys it is a great composure, enjoys also a great refinement. And that refinement has to be created and for that Lord Krishna taught what we call the yoga, the karma yoga in this case. So, process of refinement all along, the process of growth all along, process of freedom all along. 
It is not that I get freedom someday, it is that I keep on getting freedom. As my mind, as the Raga Dvesha are subdued, I get freedom. And ultimately, it culminates into this total freedom that I find myself at home or comfortable regardless of what the external situation is. That means he does not have to seek any situation to feel comfortable. He is at home in every situation. So this is the concept of moksha and sannyasa. Moksha, sannyasa yoga. So moksha is the goal. Sannyasa is the moksha is end and sannyasa is the means. This is how Lord Krishna uh, summarizes the teaching in the, of the whole Gita in the 18th chapter. Okay, I think this is where our class also comes to a conclusion because other verses, in fact, are uh, that we have here uh, will be taken in the second camp because, in fact, the topic that we started gets concluded in the 17th verse <coughs> with the topic of sannyasa. Arjuna asked the question, sannyasa se mahabaho tattvam vedutam I want to know the tattvam, the truth of the sannyasa and this is the truth of sannyasa that Lord Krishna concludes in the 17th chapter. Sannyasa and Tyaga are not two different things. Both of them mean renunciation and the ultimate renunciation is renunciation of the sense of the worship. And that comes by the knowledge of the self. So renunciation in the wake of knowledge. Renunciation of the nature of wisdom. <coughs> Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashashyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashyakrutau Vande Bhagavantau Punapunaha Ishwaro Guru Ratmevi Murti Bheda Vibhajine Vyoma Vajyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Jyo Namaha Hari Om